With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. For one more beer for me, exile means quality, so savagely. The HN Podcast. I'm John Miller, along with Steve Dace. Finally have some football to talk about as season one for at least Iowa is in the books as Iowa beat Northern Illinois 33-7. to uh, A tale of two halves would be an understatement. I rambled on about this for 42 minutes uh, yesterday. That's what you get after the uh, first game of the season. You get a pretty long instant reaction or delayed instant reaction podcast. So I will play off some of the things that you say, Steve. I'll reiterate a few things. But since I've already blathered on for a long time to a, a number of our listeners, why don't you tell us what your takeaways were from Iowa's opening season win? Sure, Will. I, and, you know, I think it might be fun if I do this from the Iowa State fans' perspective. Okay. Since yeah, that'd be great. That's probably how we'll end up, you know, transitioning to that talk anyway. Um. So from an Iowa State fan's perspective, man, I'm really hoping it's a down year in the MAC, okay? <laughs> because, <laughs> and, and there's some evidence that it could be. Um, the two teams that are the favorites in the MAC going in are Ohio and Northern Illinois. Now, the MAC is famous for giving us at least one team in Detroit every year that nobody saw coming. Mm-hmm. Ohio was, was losing to Howard, I think, for a lot of that game. And they came back and won. And, you know, Northern Illinois is kind of considered the recruiting team. Although I think actually Luke Fickle in Cincinnati, actually they're in the, they're in the American now. So yeah, Northern Illinois is kind of considered the top recruiting team in the MAC. But I thought on the same field with Iowa, they look like an FCS team. So if, as if, if from an Iowa state fans perspective, I'm hoping that it's a down year in the MAC. And there's a couple of pieces of evidence that indicate that that's true. And if the Big Ten is as deep as everybody thinks, then it would seem to, you know, the math, if you do the math, the Mac's going to be, uh, is going to get hit by that pretty hard. Because that means a lot of schools that um, might have taken, uh, or a lot of you know, the, the top tier level of recruits that a Mac team might have gotten, um, might end up being at the Minnesotas, Indianas, of the, at all in the Big Ten now. So that's what I'm hoping, because what you saw on Saturday, uh, I, I just thought probably was the perfect result for Kirk Ferentz. Iowa was sloppy, could not get out of its own way, had numerous dropped passes. Um, I guess it's this thing online. I didn't realize this, but I guess your, your fan base has something online where Nate Stanley's my kid or my twin brother or something. 
Okay. I've seen it a hundred times the last year. Okay. Um, so, you know, uh, were you in Wisconsin? Wait, wait a second. Were you in Wisconsin anytime in 1996 or 97? <laughs> did I love them and leave them in Wisconsin in the late 90s? No. Um, I did not. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Oh, gosh. No. <laughs> Just a gigolo. All right. Um. No, by not, by then I had met my wife, so I've okay. not been on a date. Right. I've not been on a date with another woman since November of 1995, and we went and saw the about movie. A date. And a, and a, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, and the movie was called An American President with Michael Douglas. That was the last non-Amy date or contact non-Amy contact with a female okay. I've had. Very good. Okay? All right. But um, uh, that was not a great effort. Eleven right. out of twenty-three. But he had lots of drops. So. You know, when you're 11 out of 23 and you're a Big Ten starting quarterback and you have the resume Nathan Stanley does, then, you know, it takes two to tango there. You're, you might be a little inaccurate. Your guys might not be reeling enough catches. So, I mean, Iowa really could not get out of its own way and, and just physically dominated this game. And so if you're Kirk Ferentz, I don't know how you could have gotten a better result. Uh, you established your brand. And there are certainly plenty of things to yell at guys about this week heading into the big rivalry game. So from an Iowa State fan's perspective, I'm what you're hoping for is that it's just a down year in the MAC because that looked like that looked like the kind of you know early season whoopings you know bullies the Big Ten mid 2000s is what it looked like to me. It just was inefficient. Uh, it just had numerous, uh, you know, first game inconsistencies. But physically, I, I, I thought I would just punish Northern Illinois. Well, I said some similar things on Saturday. I said that this is about the perfect type of coach's game outcome for Iowa you could have as long as you got a win. There were so many things that the coaches are going to harp on this week and be able to teach and see and say, see, we told you, when will you guys learn? Just listen to us and do what we tell you to do. This, mm -hmm. this, 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 this. Iowa's first four plays. They, they, I, I've come up with a new acronym for Iowa, the LOE, Aunt Eloise, LOE, lack of execution. All right. There were three of their first four plays. They had LOEs. They had a drop by Smith. They had a drop by preseason first-team All-American tight end Noah Fant, who would have had a 70-yard touchdown pass on his first reception of the year had he caught that from Stanley, and it was a beautiful throw. And then they had a blocked punt. Three of their first four plays, lack of executions. They probably had a dozen of those, I would say, in the first half. Second half, they said, all right. And I will say this about Stanley. I think he heard things or felt things that weren't quite there. His pocket presence didn't look great. I will maybe give him the benefit of the doubt and say, hey, if you didn't have Alaric Jackson and Tristan Wirfs say your tackles, you might be a little jittery too. So that's going to be nice to see those guys coming back this week. But um, didn't try a whole lot of deep shots after the first half. I think the halftime adjustments they made in, in at halftime, Steve, which would be the time to make halftime adjustments. 
um, is basically played out exactly like you and I talked about in our podcast last week. Multiple two and three tight end formations in the second half. They went to what they knew they could get through. Let's just get out there, get a win, and move on down the road and learn from this experience. And in the second half, they did that. Rushed for 209 yards on 48 carries. The first half, I think they might have had they were averaging 3.1 yards per carry in the second half. It was over five. They bludgeoned. Um, and, and actually, those the, the tackle rotation they had didn't look too bad on pass protection. They weren't as great on run blocking, but the second half, it didn't really matter who was in. They were just absolutely mowing them down. Um, didn't really get many answers uh, from the wide receiver uh, position. Uh, the questions and concerns that we have every year look like they continue to linger. One of the biggest questions I have is why the heck didn't Torn Young get a carry in the first half? That dude came in and he was running like a dude that was trying to catch up with the guy that stole his lunch money. I mean, he was running mm-hmm. hard. Uh, in, in, in also more more LOEs, more lack of executions. Ivory Kelly Martin in that first half, he had three first down runs uh, called back. Uh, one was like 11, one was like 15 or so, and one was over 40 yards that were called – yeah, 11, 13, and 45-yard runs in the first half that were wiped out by penalties, right? That will also slow you down. Uh, so there was a lot of sloppiness, eight penalties for Iowa in a game. They're typically one of the least penalized teams in all of the entire sport. So, yeah, there's a lot to build on. Now, since you're going to take the Iowa State hat in this particular podcast, what do you think – is a better advantage or disadvantage? Is it advantage Iowa that Iowa State didn't actually get to play its first game in the old adage that you get, you know, you make your biggest improvements week one to week two. Iowa State didn't have their week one yet. So is that a better advantage for Iowa or is a better advantage for Iowa State that Iowa doesn't have any film on them yet and Iowa State does have film on Iowa Or do you think the film that Iowa can look at from Iowa State basically the last four or five games of last year, and that will be enough? Who do you think has the biggest advantage from how things played out in that regard, and do you think it's much of an advantage or disadvantage? Well, I I think typically it's a huge advantage to have played a game ahead of time. Um, You know, one of the things we'll get into in the other podcast is Michigan-Notre Dame. And one of the big controversies as a rivalry, when that game was conceived, returned into the 70s, they were supposed to play each other the first game of the season. That was the agreement. And then they went into the 1989 season, and they were number one. Everybody everybody knew they were going to be the top two teams in the preseason polls, with Notre Dame coming off the national championship and Michigan coming off winning the Rose Bowl. And Notre Dame scheduled Virginia in the kickoff classic. In fact, that ended up being the first time in the history of the Associated Press poll that the number one and two ranked teams in the in the preseason poll played each other the first game of the year, except then they didn't. Notre Dame went out and scheduled Virginia in the kickoff classic to get a game ahead of time. And they would frequently try to do this. And then Michigan basically realized what they were doing and started scheduling games ahead of time. And the first time they did that was 1991. They played Boston College before Notre Dame. And that, not coincidentally, is when they broke a five-year losing streak to Notre Dame. So that's some anecdotal evidence that it does that in general, I think it's a tremendous advantage to Iowa to have to have uh, played a game 
and gotten those things um, out of uh, you know your system with the kicking game and things of that nature. Um, I'm sure there are uh, there are moments where not playing a game and you hit teams with the element of surprise, and I've seen that too. Um, but in general, it is always a huge advantage to have played a game ahead of time. Uh, the, 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 the times that it, that's an advantage compared to a disadvantage, you know, I'd say 75, 25, uh, uh, towards the advantage. So I think that that cancellation for Iowa state, I think hurts them on two doubles. One is, uh, I think that it's possible. That's the sixth win. They won't get it at the air likely, but I think it's absolutely possible. That's the sixth win they could have used. And secondly, not having that game to, to dip your feet in. Because here's the thing, particularly when you're going on the road. Like we played, Michigan played a game against Colorado when you're the one that played two games. And Michigan was the last team to start their schedule. And, but we got them at home. And it's easier to blitz that at home. You're going in a rivalry game and you've not seen live action. The pace of play, I'd be shocked if Iowa didn't score like on its first drive. And it's similar to what we see when Big Ten teams go to bowl games against SEC or Pac-12 teams. And, you know, something you and I have talked about before, especially when those teams, before we had a conference game, you know, like when we'd have like 50-day layoffs and we'd play those teams that just played a few weeks ago, you know, and, and we'd always fall to the speed of the game, the, the live action, you just can't emulate that in a practice. And I was already going to be at that tempo from the start. And I was, you know, maybe emulate that a little bit better with the crowd energy and stuff like that when you're at home. And then you can maybe ambush him a little bit more when you're at home because you have some knowing Matt Campbell. You've got a Kim and a staff. You've got a couple of new things, you know, a little something, something up their sleeve that maybe they didn't show. And you kind of hit them with that. That's all out the window. And you just cannot emulate what that atmosphere is going to be like at Kinnick Stadium. And a lot of these late winning Iowa State in the last year um, weren't on that team or didn't play significant minutes on that team that went out and just got stomped in Iowa City a couple of years ago. And those that did, know they went out there and got boat raced and got curb stomped. So I think it's a huge advantage, which made me a little surprised to see the early sharp money bet the line down. I would have thought I would have recognized tangible of what I just talked about and bet the line up. Yeah, when I the, the original line that I saw come out was Iowa as a four and a half point favorite. And I think Kinnick Stadium is at least a four point stadium. So, you know, it seems to me Can like Can I interject is, on that really quick? I think yeah. I think Kinnick from what I from following a lot of the best handicappers, Kinnick at night would be one of you know, most handicappers, the most they're gonna put on a home field advantage is four. And that's a very rare stadium and circumstance. Like LSU at night, Penn State at night, um, Notre Dame is their home underdog, like what you saw on Saturday. Iowa at night would be a four-point game, okay? So this is 5 o'clock, so you're probably three and a half, four points, somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah, so it makes me think that if this game were at Jack Trice, the, the Cyclones would be favored at least by three. So you're talking about really kind of a pick 'em game that you lean towards the home team in this one, and, and given the time of day it's going to take place, yeah. And I, I do expect the atmosphere to be pretty bonkers um, in Iowa City. And you know, in the past, Steve, this matchup between Iowa and Iowa State has typically come down to 
which team zig is better than the other zag because many Iowa State teams from the past, certainly in the Paul Rhodes era, uh, they built them to try and keep pace with Big 12 offenses. And when they ran up against a team like Iowa that wants to play bludgeoning ball, that hasn't always gone well. It doesn't mean Iowa State hasn't won some games. It just means it hasn't gone well. But Iowa State, under Matt Campbell, just seems to be built differently. And there's a number of Iowa fans, Steve, that when the Iowa-Iowa State game is done, they don't tune in to watch Iowa State for the rest of the year. You watched Iowa State over the last half of last year. I think Iowa State, I'm not going to say Iowa and Iowa State are similar. I think there are enough similarities where I don't – I, I no longer just assume Iowa can come out and play man ball and blow their socks off because Iowa State likes to play its fair share, at least respective to the league they're in. Yeah, I think that that last part is important, respective to the league they're in. Now, this will be a totally different Iowa State team than the one Iowa beat in Ames last year. Totally different offense, totally different defense. On the Let's start on the offensive side of the ball. What Kyle Kemp is going to bring to the table, he's not Jacob Park. He doesn't have that kind of arm talent. So um, the deep throws down the field that you saw Jacob Park connect on a couple of times last year, unless those are just going to be blown coverages, that's not his biggest asset. What Kyle Kemp does do, though, as a quarterback is, and, but, and I say this with, we have to mitigate this, though. He hasn't had a game. And there's no preseason. And so he is specifically a timing more than an arm talent passer. And I think that has the potential to hurt him more than if they even had one game under their belt to get some of the rust out. But when he's on, he is the exact kind of quarterback that gives Iowa's defense problems. Think of Kyle Orton. I'm not saying he's got that kind of arm talent either. But think of the Purdue teams, even when they didn't have even after Drew Brees left. Joe Tiller's offense, its ability to connect on those intermediate throws, um, its ability to force Iowa to make to, to you know uh, to to put a linebacker to cover in the slot. That is Kyle Kemp's game. Very accurate, makes excellent decisions with the football, and connects well with those intermediate passes that Iowa says to most college quarterbacks, you can't make that throw consistently. You can't beat us. That's his game, um, and I think so. I think he's he he presents a difficult matchup for Iowa's defense, particularly because you're going to have to focus on, uh, to some extent, on David Montgomery, who, you know, Pro Football Focus will tell you in terms of missed tackles is one of the best running backs, if not the best running back in the country. Now, one thing that will help Iowa if they can manage it is if, if Iowa's defensive line is as good as I think it is and Iowa State cannot block four guys with five, well, now you're going to ask your linebackers to play less in space because they're not going to constantly have to play a guessing game um, and, and because they're going to be able to play more of their assignment football when they, if, they're able, if, if we get into the middle of the second quarter and Iowa's defense realizes, you know what, our front, they can't block these guys. We can sit back here. We don't have to get caught peeking in. We don't have to get caught ducking in. And then they hit us down the field, down the seam with, a, with, a, with, with that intermediate throw. So I think that's the matchup to watch. 
There is, I, I, don't, I don't think there's any way Iowa State can win if Iowa is able to shut David Montgomery down with just their front four. And what I mean by shut down, I don't think it's a rushing number. I think, it, I think it's, are we sitting here going into the fourth quarter and he's still a threat in the game? That's what I mean. So it could be he could have 20 carries for 79 yards, you know. But do you – going into the fourth quarter, does, is, is David Montgomery still in a position where Iowa feels like we have to, we've got to be focused on this guy? If the answer to that question is yes, Iowa State can win. If the answer to that question is no, I think they cannot. Defensively, Iowa State is sort of a Big 12 version of Iowa. And what they switched to after that, what they switched to last year, and this re- literally happened right in the middle of a game. They did this against Texas last year. Is they literally just gave up the uh, the notion that they are they can even get home on a quarterback. And they looked at the rest of their league and they said, you know what? Here's what we don't have in this league. Outside of Oklahoma, um, we don't have a power running game. And while Oklahoma has a power running game, and this was the criticism Oklahoma fans had when they had Joe Mixon uh, and Samaje Piran. When you have those guys, why aren't each why aren't you running the ball forty times a game? Well, you know, you got a quarterback like Baker Mayfield and Sterling Shepard and D.D. Westbrook and all these guys. It's and you're sitting there as an offensive coordinator. It's kind of hard to say let's run between the tackles forty times. You got all these toys. You want to play with them, right? You know. And so Iowa State looked at the rest of this league and said. That's really the only team in this league that has a power running game, uh, except the personnel to do it, except for Texas. And so what they did is they switched to this defense in the middle of the Texas game. They fell down, they fell behind, and the Texas really didn't do anything offensively the rest of the game. And they said, you know what, we are not going to get caught out in space with superior athletes exploiting us, and eight-yard slants become 40-yard gains, Big 12 football, basically. We're going to force Big 12 football teams to use the old Hank Stram notion. You have to matriculate the ball down the field. Because Big 12 football teams, with a couple of exceptions like a Kansas State, who they did lose to, really aren't built to do this. And they turned their entire season around. And so what they did is the Big 12 version of what Iowa's defense does. Iowa's defense since Norm Parker came to, came to Iowa City in 1999. And, you know, Phil, has, Phil Parker now has his own variations on it. But it – but there's Raider schemes and different, but it's, but still the basic Iowa defensive philosophy is the same. Prove to us that you can make that throw. You know, we remember when Denard Robinson played at Michigan yeah. and we used to joke about what Denard Robinson's numbers would be before they played Iowa early in the big 10 year. And then what they would be after that. Right. Cause what would Iowa then do? Hey, you prove to us that you can hit that throw 12 to 15 yards down the mm-hmm. field. And until you do, we're not letting you run for 200 yards. Well, that's Kyle Kemp's game, is that throw right there. Um, and similar, Iowa State said to Big 12 teams, you know what? We don't think you guys can play man ball. We don't think you can do that. So we're going to dare you to do it. We're just going to put three men on a line, and we're going to take you know, Joel Lanning and our linebackers, and we're going to put them four or five yards off the line of scrimmage. Come at me, bro. Prove to us that you are content with this. You are content with matriculating the ball down the field. They played an umbrella defense. They they tackled a great, as efficiently as any Iowa State defense I can recall, causing a lot of turnovers in the process. And, and Big 12 teams had no idea how to adjust to this 
because the Iowa State zigged where, where the rest of the league zagged. Now, I don't think that's going to work against Iowa, okay? You line up you line up with an umbrella defense, Kirk Ferentz is fine winning this game 17-7 to and just, you know, having three backs average four and a half or five and a half a clip, and, you know, we'll see you next year. You know, so I don't think that's going to work on Saturday. So the, the, the key for – that's why I think that a really score for Iowa could be key is can you get Iowa State out of the defense that it's kind of become its own brand? So in many respects, each team is constructed to take advantage of the weakness of the other team. And that's another reason why I think Iowa playing a game ahead of time is a huge advantage because execution and timing and your ability to pull those things off um, I think are, um, I, I think are going to be paramount in this game. Yeah. As, as you were sitting there explaining the type of umbrella that they went to, I was thinking that that's, yeah, Iowa would be just fine with that. So it's, it's just always a fascinating contrasting of styles and maybe not quite to the degree that it's been in the past, but it should be a lot of fun. L- last thing, cause we'll spend more time later this week talking about Iowa and Iowa state. I don't know if you saw this or not on Twitter, but a number, well, I saw a few, more than just a few Iowa fans asking questions about, well, Iowa State had some, had some suspended players for this game and it didn't get played. Do you think that they're going to suspend them for the Iowa game or allow them to play? And of course, a lot of people felt that if they allowed them to play, that would be some type of uh, miscarriage of justice. I mean, listen, man, they were suspended. They had to basically play second team reps that entire week. And I'm telling you, that's punishment. That's a good deal of punishment. It's not as, you know, obviously following through and missing one of the 12 opportunities you have guaranteed to you every year, if you don't get hurt to play is a big loss. I have no problem with Iowa state basically saying the suspensions were served and the, the players that were suspended will play this week. I don't necessarily feel since the game had begun and then it got canceled. I don't feel like this is anybody pulling a Zucker when a hurricane basically postponed a game several years ago at Florida when they knew several days in advance it was coming. And then yeah. Zuck had those players suspended for that particular game later in the year when it was rescheduled. I just don't get the feeling that this is any type of manipulation. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I think the fact the game started – is the is the key thing here? Um, I think if the game had been canceled, like we, I was thinking of the Florida Ron Zook situation as you were talking, um, but I think the fact the game started and then it was canceled, clearly within the letter of the rule of their suspension, um, they honored that. The debate is whether they honored the spirit of it or not, and. Uh, I don't know. Do we know what these players were suspended for? Because, you know, over the last few years, my position on this has gotten a little more libertarian. Right. I really don't care about how much money a booster gives a kid. I don't care. I, I got the kid that went to Arizona. Then it turned out he did a racist video. But the kid that went to Arizona claiming that um, Jimbo Fisher and A&M gave him more money than the NCAA allowed to spend on official visits. I, I don't I don't care. What I care about is, are you a menace to society on campus and are you compromising the academic mission of the university? So short of being a violent offender uh, or fake classes, 
a lot of this other stuff I, I don't care about. You know, but so I don't know what these were suspensions for. But um, here's the thing if you're not for Iowa fans that are listening to this. If you have a bee in your bonnet about this and you think that this is too cute by a half and you're right, then there's no need to get upset about it because this is the kind of stuff that always ruins teams. If you're right that there's a double standard here, this stuff never works. It never works. Uh, guys realize that there's all if, if they think there's two sets of standards, um, it'll be a reoccurring issue within the locker room at, within the Iowa State program and, it, you know, internal problems far beyond uh, in, in affecting the outcome uh, on Saturday. And so, you know, if you're Matt Campbell and you're laying down the law and, you know, you suspend four guys at once and everything else, and then you kind of decide to get cute about it, you know, that stuff is that stuff will pay will have consequences for Iowa State as the season rolls along. So if you're an Iowa fan and you're right about that, well, then there's no need to worry about this Saturday because you'll see those, you'll see this storyline become a reoccurring problem for Iowa State along the, along the way, the rest of the way. Yeah. And I, I just, I, I don't know that I see it. I think that, uh, I just think it's a bad look too. Maybe I'd be different if I was still doing daily sports talk. I might need a topic to fire up about this week and, and be somewhat uh, disingenuous. Well, so I think, what did they do? Was there, a, were there any DUIs? OWIs? I, think, I think there was one, I can't remember who it was, so I don't want to inaccurately say the name. Um, Iowa had a couple of Deweys, I think, or at least one, uh, worse had a DUI and then, um, reef had a, uh, Uber, like I, have, uh, I, I did not agree with the decision. I I'm fine. To me, a DUI is almost, is basically a violent offense because you are behind the wheel. You're playing Russian roulette with a 2000 pound missile. All right. Or in worst worst case, it was a scooter and he made it 2000 pounds because he's as big as a house. But I get what you're saying. Yes. But 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 the kid who tried to do the right thing and just got in the wrong car thinking it was an Uber. I thought that for your for your team, I thought that was a ridiculous punishment. Ridiculous. Okay, I mean, he tried. He tried to do the right thing. No, hold on. Wait, wait, was he underage? Was he drinking? No, he, 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 he was not. Okay, so he's an adult. He thought he was doing the right thing. Why is there a punishment there? I don't understand that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Just maybe it's a judgment thing, but um, okay. You know, now, but yeah. but if we're talking about punk freshmen or somebody else who, you know, um, blew off weight, something internally with the team, I don't care about any of that. If if they have to manage that stuff on their own, and if they don't manage it well, it'll have negative consequences for Iowa State, and that's really none of our business. I think it becomes the public's business when you do something that makes you a menace. Uh, a public menace or violate the academic integrity of the university. That's that's why I would want to know what were the suspensions for before right. I took a, right. a real sure. hard stand one way or the other. Sure. All right. We'll talk more about Iowa and Iowa State on Thursday when we come up and release our weekly picks um, here later this week. And that will wrap up this installment of the HN Podcast. For Steve, I'm John. We will talk to you soon.